Wait a minute, I think I'm in. Am oh, I... I think, yep, I think we've done it. Yeah, it looks like we have. Woohoo! Quiet, I think we'll be able to get around the technical issues. Yeah. Hopefully we won't have to do um, this too often. Yeah, well, depending on how long the lockdown is in the UK, I guess. But, uh, so, this is uh, the cinema we see, and this is a very, very strange day, because we're not sat in the same room together, Chris and I. Down, by the way, so I can hear you loud and clear now. Oh, yes. Um, well, I've, got, I've got it, like, kind of tilted up towards my mouth, so I'm either really, really loud, or I don't know. No, no, leave it, leave it. That's good, that's good. I can hear you. Can you hear oh, me? Yes, I can hear you loud and clear. Oh, that's good. Not that I wasn't obvious by the fact you were replying to me, but... But, yeah, so I think we mentioned this uh, last week on the episode we did, that, that being we being Mark and I, that, you know, the UK is in lockdown and things are all a bit cray-cray at the moment. However, we are still trying to do our episodes yeah it's been quite a while since the last one we did together i know you mark did one last week which i listened to and i learned a lot about what not to feed dogs i know i learned a lot i mean he's just a well of knowledge my husband (laughs) so yeah no no cheese fish omelets for your dog especially during the lockdown otherwise you you may end up breaking the rules well, we don't have any pets apart from fish, so, you know, as long as I don't kill them off, I think we'll be fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so weird. I mean, but anyway, so we're going to get into gear. We're going to get into gear. Uh, this is episode Somewhere in the Teens, and we're covering Fox and his friends. Uh, can you tell us a bit about it, Chris? Okay, so I did manage to watch this film between... Um, going to the shops and hoarding as many loo rolls as I could. <laughs> and yeah, I did find some things out about the film as well. So, released in West Germany in 1975, Fox and His Friends was not only directed and co-written by Rainer Werner Fassbinder, he also starred as its main character. Regarding the title of this film, its original German title is, so wait, wait a moment, Faust directed Der Freiheit, which I believe, because I did look this up, as a right fist to freedom or fist a right to freedom to be more literal. So, most German boss, you know that Fry means freedom. Faust. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, Faust is fist, erect is right. Fist, right, der means of and Fry is free, free, and by height is freedom. So, yeah. Right fist, this rather didn't sound right, so I suppose it would be right fist, of freedom but this title is very important because the film not only explores the themes of romance and tragedy but also class and exploitation which is why i think the german title might be might be more appropriate for the film but i can understand why they went with the english title because it's not always immediately it's not immediately obvious how the german title translates um into the film yeah so what are your thoughts about that gabby uh what was that sorry man do you want me to go over everything i just just said (laughs) well the problem is um listeners the problem is is that i mean if you guys also 
you know, talk to people on the phone. Uh, one thing that's hard is not seeing people's mouths move because you don't know when someone's, when it's your turn to speak. Oh dear. Yeah, so, so just um, bear with me if I accidentally interrupt you, Chris. Um, we all know I like the sound of my own voice, so uh, I'll try not to go on and on and on. But I think, just talking about the title, Fox and His Friends is a good, uh, I think it was the right option because there's something in the simplicity of it, you know? Like, this film, it kind of reminded me of... Uh, Mike Lee films and they've got quite I wouldn't say generic titles but I'd say simple titles for example uh, Secrets and Lies Another Year um, and it's all I, I find Mike Lee's films and this film quite melancholy and sort of quite mundane that there are no big big events that happen well even when something at the end which is quite big happens it's not shown in such a way where this is all oh, this is full of drama it's quite it's shown quite mundane which makes it even more tragic uh but yeah um so i've seen this is not my first reign of Verna fastbinder film i've seen i've also seen the tears of petra von kant which is which which she did in 72 i think and i've seen ali fear eats the soul which came out in 1974. You know, I'm not the kind of guy who would casually watch Reiner Werner Fassbinder films, so well, you'll have to <laughs> explain that to you more. I can't remember if this is, like, our first German film we've done. I'm not sure. I'm trying to think. I can't. Yeah, I mean, we've done a film by a German director, Vin Wenders, but that was a... English language film, Paris, Texas. So I think this might be our first German film. Yeah. Yeah. So also... It's a Sebastian film, isn't it? So it's... Well, so it's a German film then. Yeah. Um, Because it's like set just outside Munich, I think, or something like that. But um, if... Yeah. I, I mean, that's all not strictly material, but I think it is in Munich. Yeah, but I was just going to say that the year this came out, 1975, is one of my favorite years in cinema because you had uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Jaws, Pinnock at Hanging Rock, uh, Rocky, Horror, Rocky Horror Picture Show, Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, oh, wow. You had, mm. oh, um, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, you, yeah, I was, I'm, I'm thinking now, actually, as you were saying them, it's... But did this really? Do you think it was the case that this ended up being buried? Well, as I say, it is, the thing is, because it was a German language film, I don't imagine that these films had as much. How do I say it? As much of an audience as in nineteen seventy-five as they do now. Yeah. I, I don't know um, how you feel. You might you feel free to disagree with me, but. I think it seems that over time, people become more open-minded about foreign language films because we had them very recently, part of the film Parasite. Wasn't that the first foreign language film to win an Oscar? Or have I got this completely well, wrong? Well, it was the first... Uh, I, th- I, I think it was the first South Korean film 
to win Best Picture. Uh, for a while, they've had the Best Foreign Language Film, which is now Best International Film. They've had that category for a while. But in terms of a film from another country other than America or England or Australia uh, winning Best Picture, it's not very com- common. So Parasite is historic in um, you know winning Best Picture um, for the 20th century. But I also want to say, so going back to what you were saying about like Buried, um, this film being sort of buried and not known, was we've spoken before about foreign language films like In the Mood for Love, for example, um, which was only in the year 2000, not being either remembered or ever seen by our generation or the generation before, even though it's in our lifetimes, uh, because of not really being put out there for us to see. So the thing is, is that not only... In 2000, I was playing with Lego models. Yeah, I was too. (laughs) (laughs) my my dad and my mom you know they hadn't heard of in the mood for love but i will say this film came out in 1975 and i think like it's not just it's a foreign language film it's a film that has primarily queer characters in it and with those two things it doesn't quite i mean especially in the 70s when it was released that's quite a niche audience like not very many people were open-minded and I think what's interesting now is there's a lot of stuff that came out last century um, that is now sort of being better appreciated in this century but also having a sorry to interrupt but that's a really good point you've made actually where works of art including cinema are not necessarily appreciated until a much later time oh yeah i think in that perhaps it was ahead of its time oh yeah ahead of its time is is the perfect phrase to use for this because Raina Werner fassbinder who you said also starred in this film and i think this is the only film he starred in he i'm not going to say that a lot of the film is autobiographical but he himself was a gay man an openly gay man and I don't know. I mean, um, where was I going with this? I can't remember. <laughs> but basically, like, he wasn't afraid. That's where, I'm, that's where I'm going with this. He wasn't afraid to uh, put out something that was uh, like a person like himself, for example. He didn't put out characters on screen that other people wanted to see. Like, other people wanted to see uh, white people on screen. So he didn't put white people on screen. He put out people he wanted to be seen, people like himself uh, and people he, he might have thought were underrepresented, like that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's a very good point. I, I know what you're saying. I'm going to tell you what you said and rephrase it in my own words because I agree with the point so much. Yeah, it's, it's a person. He must have... He, what's, what's the way to explain it? He... Perhaps because, like you mentioned, he was a, a gay man. Not only could he have an insight, not only ha- sorry, not only did he have an insight into this lifestyle at, at this time, but as a person, he wasn't afraid to, you know, almost report on it mm. accurately. Yeah. So in that sense, he 
those kinds of people are always very forward thinking. You know, what I find interesting, doing a little bit of reading around uh, Fastbinder and also like this film, was that um, he was from a bourgeoisie kind of family. Like he was upper class. Um, I believe I've got that correct. Um, And what's interesting is if this film is at all autobiographical, he has put, he is, he's acting in the role that's not what he would have been, if that makes sense. For example, uh, if we talk a little bit about the beginning of this film, it's got a beautiful score, by the way. I love how the film begins at this fairground. It's got this nice little tune playing with uh, woodwind uh, instruments. And um, the text is all in this nice sort of mustard yellow. And we meet uh, Fox, and he he's performing in like a carnival as an act called what was he Fox the Speaking Head or something like the de- yeah that's right. he's a, he's like a we don't actually see his act but he's part of a circus crew is that right yeah um, the Speaking Head I imagine they use a series of mirrors and illusions so that you can only see his head and it looks like his head's floating and yeah. Maybe we didn't get to see it actually. We're, we hear about him. Because... <laughs> but I, I, I like things like that. So if we actually saw his act, I would have, I would have liked that personally. But uh, the beginning of the film is when his uh, sort of colleague slash boyfriend is arrested, and I think it's for tax evasion. I think we find out that. Yeah, the case because he seized all of his money as well. Yeah, so. but after that. No, no, not um, the character's money, but the. The act's money. Yeah, because the thing is, is that this film is about money and class. I'd say, um, rather than it's it's not about sexuality because it's like, oh, this is their sexuality, but that's not the point of the story. It's about money and class. I'd say. Definitely, it's yeah, it's not about sexuality. It's about rom- romance. Yeah, and um, maybe a particular kind of romance. But as you mentioned. Yeah. Well, it's not about sexuality. There are there are element, elements of that. Yeah, but that's not the conflict. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. It's not the conflict. The conflict is money and class. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And that and the first scenes of the film set the stage because you know immediately that our main character, um, Fox, is struggling for money, and every single scene tells you that so so you know from the beginning that it could have the element to the story there's some terrific scenes and he's one of my favorite characters of the year so far i just adored him where he's sort of he's he's moseying around he's got um this little denim jacket on and he is he's constantly talking about what he needs to do is put a bet on the lottery because he wants to win big and he thinks it's his day and he's going to win big. And when he goes up to um, the counter, um, he he has to get the money out of his sock and it's just like one note because he doesn't really go around with much cash on him. And he, he's got a leather jacket as well. He kind of looks like a bad boy, like your stereotype typical james dean but he's such a vulnerable really sweet guy and he's quite self-depreciating he keeps saying he's dumb and yeah he's a he's a loser and he says that about himself but also 
his sister, who's kind of a drunk, uh, his older sister he lives with, she also calls him a loser and dumb and a good friend. Yeah, yeah his sister is in a, a very abrasive character, perhaps not aided by the copious amount of alcohol that she brings. Well, I, I quite like the um, character of his sister I, yeah. because it shows another side of class as well where you do have dysfunctional families where you have strong clashes of personality. Although that could happen in any family, it just seems like you have these domestic situations more often in, or it's, there's a perception that you have these domestic situations more often in families of low-class people. Well, that's the interesting thing is that there's no villain per se in this film um apart from how so how i saw it was the thing is when you say the word yeah. villain it's, it's it's not perhaps that's a good thing about them because in western films even when they're meant to be when i say western i mean english language films and um, films surrounding well contrasted to German films, say films of an Anglo-Saxon culture, we're talking about English films, American films, Australian films, even when they're meant to be about realistic events, there is always some kind of a villain, and even when the film's serious, the film tells us who the villain is fairly early on, and in order for the film to be enjoyable or sellable, there has to be a good defeat evil narrative, whereas this film, Fox and His Friends, it's more matter of fact. Yeah, and I think what I mean by villain is that, like, for example... I think if you're looking for a villain, you won't find yeah, one. Because, yeah. There are unscrupulous people who, if you think unscrupulous people are villains, then sure. But... I think it's because Fox isn't a hero and therefore there can't be a villain. For example, Fox, you know... I'm like his biggest fan. Uh, I I constantly wanted to just protect him. He's got that kind of aura about him, but he's got his flaws where he's unassuming and generous and kind to a fault. And he lets himself be walked over and fleeced. And the thing is, is that like his eventual boyfriend, he's, you know, he's, condescending and he does more or less steal from Fox when he eventually wins uh, the lottery uh, we'll, we'll talk about the ending and the spoiler things, this, I think this isn't too spoilery really um, but you also can't say uh, Jorgen is a villain because at the beginning he was quite nice to Fox and stuck up for him. You could say he pretended to be that way yeah. But it's very good because the film blurs the lines. It's not black and white. Yeah. I mean, at first I thought it was like My Fair Lady when, because we're talking about class a lot, is, um, what's his name? Fox bumps into this guy called Max, who, by the way, listeners, the guy who plays Max is a guy who plays Mark in Peeping Tom, the film I mentioned in my wrap-up of last year. So it was quite fun to see him again. So he meets Max, and Max kind of takes a liking to him. And he takes him to this party where he's got a few friends there. 
and uh, one of the guys there is Jorgen. And Fox and Jorgen start a relationship. And at first, I thought it was quite fun because they're like uh, chalk and cheese. Um, when they went back to Jorgen's apartment, Fox was just like putting his shoes on top of furniture and he's smoking and he just doesn't care. And it was quite funny to see Jorgen follow him around and like fold his jacket and all that kind of thing. I thought that was quite amusing. But what's interesting is that for the, for the audience member, what you find amusing and endearing at first as the film goes on becomes like, oh, this isn't going to work because they're so different that, you know, it, you just know it's going to be a doomed romance. Yeah, that's very interesting. I'm going to go back to something you said about... I don't think you said this exactly, but it sort of was to this effect of him being naive and trusting, as you mentioned. But I noticed one word you didn't use was desperate. And I think that word does encompass his personality and his actions um, throughout the whole film. So we see the desperate fox in the beginning, constantly betting on the lottery, hoping you'll make it big, as it turns out he does. But that's still a sign of desperation. And then when he does fall into the relationship, he's sort of putting a lot of money into it, trying to build a relationship up. He's trying to enter into that lifestyle because he thinks that will be his salvation. And that's a form of desperation as mm -hmm. well. And I'm not going to spoil the ending, but you sort of see the end of desper desperation as well. And I think... Actually, it, it even towards the end, they even characters even comment on that. One, I think, it's Jorgen says, um, or one of his or his boyfriend Philip says to him, "Do you think he's desperate?" And the other one says, "No, desperation is felt by people with with, with emotion and depth. You know, he's too simple to feel desperation." Yeah. And. That, that that was quite shocking. And... Yeah, and um, he he's dating Philip, who is his class, who is, like, what you'd say is the right man for him. Um, he stops dating Philip and starts a relationship with Fox. But when he is with Fox, he's still kind of flirting with Philip, you know? And I think what is interesting is that, just going back to what you're saying about desperation is... When we first meet Fox, his kind of character arc is that at the beginning, his wants and needs are to perhaps get money and then get a, a better life out of that. For example, he can give money to his sister, he can buy a car, he can have a home, he can get better clothes and that kind of thing. And when he starts a relationship with Jorgen, he has money and that kind of thing. And, oh, and he gets, like, an apartment with Jorgen and um, they've got this life together. His wants and needs move to wanting to sustain that relationship. And, again, we'll talk about the ending in a bit, but when we get closer to our third act, he his desperation is... Well, it's all about love, really, and how it's all falling apart, and that's what breaks him, I think. <laughs> Yeah, um, but perhaps something deeper is what breaks him because 
he's looking for some kind of salvation. And then when he thinks he's got everything he needs to achieve that and it all falls through, then what's he left with? He's not left with any route to happiness. Mm. And at that point, what what option does he feel is left for him? I think what... Um... We're getting closer and closer to spoilers, uh, listeners, because um, I don't know. We're just getting there. I'm going to not. Oh, I'm going to spoil it. Twenty-four yeah, minutes in, so we can work towards the ending yeah, now, can't we? All right. So this is now going into spoiler territory, listeners. Okay, here we go. So I want to say that you're link. making an omelet. You hear that? Me making an omelet. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've got cloth ears. I've got terrible hearing. Shall Indeed I you have. I saying before getting distracted? Okay, here yes. we go. I, I've got myself together again. So, what is interesting, I think what actually, you know, is so hard to take towards the end of the film is that Jorgen hasn't really gone through the sort of emotional... Uh, ups and downs is Fox. For example, when we meet Jorgen at the beginning of the film, he's uh, a man who's come from a family of privilege and he he has all his lovely clothes and he's got his boyfriend who's the same class as him, the same sort of privilege as him and everything seems to be fine with Jorgen, right? However, when he meets Fox, I think that's the opportunity for Jorgen to have like a side adventure of fun, basically. So my fair lady, this guy of, oh, I'll teach you the right music to listen to. I'll, I'll buy you the right clothes to wear. I'll take you to the right restaurants and show you that you need to drink white wine with fish and red wine with steak and that kind of thing. And it's all this sort of little side project for, you know, maybe amusement, maybe because he's a bit bored with the routine of life. But um, when it gets closer to the end of the film, Jorgen just leaves Fox and goes back to Philip. And nothing has really, uh, really affected him because he's just avoided that all. Fox has taken the fall for him. Yeah, there's always, it's always this, there is this grey area. It's not throughout the film there's always a sort of vagueness it's not black and white because although it seems genuine this romance Jorgen could just be exploiting Fox because he knows he's won the lottery but you never quite know for certain however I think if an expert were to look at this film and analyze it I think they will come to the conclusion that the love or the romance in the beginning was authentic for the most part, but that love was easily disposable. When it came to a point where the relationship had broken down, it was just cast cast away, thrown aside mm. immediately. So I think that's the closest explanation of what the director was aiming for or what the director wanted to convey. This, this also goes back to Parasite, actually, in terms of what the privilege can get away with and what the uh, working class can't get away with. Yes, that's a really good point. I think that's what's being commented on by the film as well, 
almost the nature of privileged people. There could be this ruthlessness behind their actions, especially when it comes to money. And perhaps almost the reason why they have money is because they are ruthless. Because, like I said, about the title of the film was Right Fist of Freedom. Now, what that suggests to me is some kind of... Bearing in mind 1975, there was this tension between um, capitalism and communism. People were under threat of nuclear destruction. In the same way, actually, we have this coronavirus event. Sorry to remind you, folks, but this coronavirus event now, which is constantly featuring in the news, and we have stories about it that do frighten people. In 1975, my understanding is that people were, you know, reading news about um, atomic destruction and nuclear war, and they were saying it could happen at any moment, and people were being afraid of that, and people were saying that, actually, perhaps you should stockpile, perhaps you should um, think of, you know, having a bait, you know, going down to your basement if you have one and using it to protect yourself in an event of a nuclear blast. And... Yeah, I mean, um, it's meant. It's yeah. And so, and so, why? Why am making from that? I went off a bit of a tangent there. But why I'm making about that is that the title, "Right Fist of Freedom," does allude to, I think, a struggle between a lower class and upper class, and also so like socialist struggles as well. So, so I think that. Like we said before, is the main the main point of the film, and I think that a lot of the film is meant to be a commentary on that, and not just a commentary necessarily on the gay community yeah, in Berlin. The gay community in West Germany is the backdrop. It is, you know, um, yeah, it's only part of Fox's personality being gay, which is why. Which is also the same for Jorgen, that it's just part of his personality for being gay. But that is their backdrop and everything. And because they have that in common, that is something that, you know, is one of the reasons why they're together. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, and how they meet in the first place, isn't it? Because Max kind of like likes Fox, but not enough to pursue a relationship with him. But it's at that party where Jorgen and Fox do pursue a relationship. But I'm starting to think more and more about Parasite because not to spoil that film if people haven't seen it, but there's a there's a question in Parasite which says, like, can you and oh, this goes back to your thing about freedom. Can you if you're person of lower class can you ever escape that can you ever reach freedom as it were and i think in fox and his friends that answer is no you can't and i think in parasite again not trying to spoil that film for people i think the answer again is no and that's such a terrible terribly tragic thing because um it seems as if like just being born in a certain class your destiny your destiny is set and there's nothing you can do you can win the lottery you can work your way up and you just nothing you can do and this it's really really sad you know perhaps that's contrasted with american films where 
I think in many of those oh, yeah, films, the there's the opposite. Corn. The icon of the underdog. Because you, you make such a brilliant point, Chris, that the American dream is, doesn't matter who you are, you can make it in the world, isn't it? Yeah, that, yeah. It's, it's a shame because the idea of the American dream is something that has come to be forgotten as the years have gone by. But I think when you watch all the American films, well, perhaps even more recent ones, there's, you definitely get the American dream. That, that's how you learn about it. You start off with an underdog and they, they overcome adversity and it's a happy ending. And this film is the opposite, actually. Of that, it's. Oh I yeah, I, I I think that's interesting as well because now that we're in spoiler territory, like the ending of this film, uh, Fox has takes an overdose and he he dies and he's just at is it a bus station or a train station? He's just on the floor, and he's getting robbed by these schoolboys, these two boys of school school age who are going through his pockets. They even take the denim jacket off his back. And that was the last scene you, you see actually when they take his jacket and walk off with it. Because at that point he's been stripped of everything. And um, no longer even Fox Yeah, because on the back of his jacket it said Fox, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And just, just, just for the record, Gabby spoiled the ending yeah, on I, me. Come I, I, wasn't on. I told listeners ten minutes ago I was going to talk spoiled. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. People should probably be more be uh, be aware now if they if they watch any of our podcast, they'll know we um we we like yeah, to spoil things. Yeah, because you know it's boring not to talk about the whole. Thing. Yeah, well, I feel like if you don't have spoils in, you can't actually yeah. comment on the whole film. And it does make it needlessly difficult. But yeah, about the end scene, I think it was meant to be meant to show the moral, not not the moral. It, the the end scene sort of encompassed the whole film. It drove home the point that um, Fox had wealth and money, and he was eventually just you know, stripped of everything, um... and. When the boys were taking his wallet and looting his body, that was just a two-minute um, sort of a two-minute mini story of of what happened. But it's also like how life is so fickle sometimes to other people. For example, those boys didn't know who he was, the life he'd led, like if he was someone's brother, someone's son, or a father or something. They didn't care. Just a dead man. Oh, look at his gold watch. Oh, I like that. I'll take that. But I'll tell you something I also found interesting was you could have had that scene with just Fox and those two boys, right? But no, we also had two characters we've seen before who come into the scene. They come down an escalator and they see his body and they recognize him, they acknowledge it as him and then they just leave him. And those two people are Max, so someone he, you know, maybe you could call him a friend, maybe you can call him an associate, but also Klaus. Now Klaus was the guy at the beginning of the film who was his like colleague slash boyfriend, right? So he must have known him 
taking significant amount of time, but he had a similar reaction to Max of, oh, it's Fox. Oh, better. I think we better leave him and just go. And the way you had those two characters who reacted so similarly, it wasn't unrealistic to me because uh, Klaus did go to prison for a little bit with you know the tax evasion and all that. And when he came out, um, he does see Fox again, and he does know Fox has moved on to you know into another relationship. But it still got me how they're deliberately in that scene for a reason, you know. And uh, it just drives home the point, uh, and, the, and it's clear that the director wants to drive home the point over and over again that there's no sentimental feeling in any of these characters, and maybe he wants to make the point that there's no sentimental feeling in society amongst people and maybe he went over the top with that but but I think the moral in these I think the moral of the story is that you've just got to be aware that things like love can oftentimes be circumstantial and when circumstances change then the the love changes and disappears now that's a very cold brutal moral to a story but it's certainly one the director wanted to know as i get older i'm learning more and more the importance of being you know kind of autobiographical in your art for example like scorsese always goes back to the Catholic religion in his films because he wants to keep exploring it for himself because he was brought up Catholic and that kind of thing, right? And Bong Joon-ho, Bong Joon-ho, for example, you and I watched The Host recently and Mother on a movie, and he keeps trying to explore class and, you know, the people who are of lower class trying to survive in this world. And so I, I don't know Bong Joon-ho's background, but maybe he is someone from that class or, you know. But I feel like with this film, because Rainer Werner Fassbinder, he actually died, like, he died of an overdose uh, seven years after this film came out. He was only 37. And I think the reason why uh, the character of Fox uh, he's only probably just Fox is only probably just part of the person Reign of Werner Fassbinder. But I feel like when he was making this film, he probably was exploring things like suicide and that kind of thing. And I mean, I know I'm going on and on, but I just want to mention one more thing. Being autobiographical does not often equal success because uh being what I mean, life can be very, very sad, and a lot of people don't want to watch um, films or read books that are very sad and kind of hit too close to home. For example, I read. Uh... You, what, sorry? you seem to like them, though. I think films where well, there's like a tragedy. Exploring tragedy. I'm, I mean, I'm... but I'll quickly say that I read Sylvia. Like, hey, Chris, watch this film. I like. I think you like the film. I watch it. I think is this Come going on, to be another Chris, tragedy? Let me finish my last thing. Oh, yeah. Let me say my it's last point. Point. So I read okay. Sylvia Plath's 
the bell jar right and I was reading it and I said to Mark I am getting so depressed reading this because it is about depression um but after the book was released she killed herself because she was depressed and it drove her to suicide and the thing is is that it's so honest it hurts but I'd much rather read something or watch something honest than something that has been perfectly manufactured for my entertainment, you know? That's my rant there. (laughs) Yeah. um, So about about that rant, so what do you think about, just just curious, I, I won't go on very much longer. So about this film, in particular, do you think the director went too far? Do you think do you think he had a warped view of human relations, or do you think he I had think a realistic the view? Why the film comes across as realistic is because it's honest. So um, there's a lot of things there that could, for example, even if they made a dishonest music choice, like oh. Um, it says in the textbook that if we make the music swell, I'm looking at you, Steven Spielberg, then the emotions will get so heightened in our audience members and they will start to cry. And I feel like, I don't know, not everyone's going to like this film. Uh, But I feel like you shouldn't try to make a film people will like or that's textbook. You should... Just do your own thing, and I can see that in this film. I didn't like I didn't like the bitter tears of Petra von Kant because I know I'm probably pronouncing that terribly wrong, but I didn't like that film because I thought that he didn't make the best use of the location. It was just I, from what I remember, it's all set in an apartment, and I found it too claustrophobic. Maybe that was the point, but it didn't work for me. And when I watched Fairy, oh God get my teeth back in my mouth when I watched Ali fear he fear eats the soul I thought that he was ripping off Douglas Sirk a little too much because in um all the heaven allows which is a Douglas Sirk film from the 50s it's about an older woman and a younger man and in Ali fear eats the soul it's about an older woman and a younger man but he's also Moroccan and I thought that he was following that uh, narrative too closely and it didn't feel as if it was really you know his original work if that makes sense hmm is this another so, sorry like, like you mentioned about uh, not being able to see people speak is it you're talking about Fast the Bind. film by yeah yeah Fast, yeah this is Fast the Binder. only one i like so far i mean yeah. i enjoyed them well yeah i mean i like the other two fine that i've seen but i i really really like this one because i think this is where he was like i'm just gonna do my own thing i'm not gonna think oh this is what people want i'm just gonna do what i want you know yeah actually i like this film and i liked it because it was realistic it didn't have a, I liked it because because it, because it, it, not because it didn't have a happy ending, but because as you mentioned, it's clear that the director was being honest. He didn't feel yeah. that it had to have a happy ending. It felt he 
but just telling the story. I'm going to make a very final point, very final point, and I'm going to be silent, so I don't make any more points. I think that the character Fox, going by the name of Franz Bieberkopf, is fascinating. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, they, they are the the character in the film played by this Fassbinder and Fassbinder himself. They, the one and the same. You know, I might I might not have read enough, but it seems as if that he's put himself though. Oh, hang on a minute. I think the story is real in terms of it's not a hundred percent what happened, but I think. Yeah, it's not an allegory. Yeah, it could be an allegory of his life. Rainer Werner Fassbinder was Fox. I think he was Jorgen. I think he was the posh one from the privileged family. Nah, nah. <laughs> but nah, I don't know. I, I mean, Fox was Fassbinder. Fassbinder was Fox. I think that's my conclusion. Well, I think I want to read more about him actually, because he. This film got me in terms of like, what's well, like Bong Joon Ho? Honestly, like it's, it's oh, Germ- West Germany in the seventies for Fassbinder, and it's South Korea in the noughties and the tens for Bong Joon Ho. And if you are interested in those films, then the truth must be even more interesting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a really good advert for this film, actually. Yeah. So I agree with that. But, yeah, so that so, was fun. I mean, it is weird you not being sat next to me, but it was good. Oh, and you're going to pick the next one, Chris. Oh, yeah. Um, oof, oof, oof. I'm on a computer now. Movie. I don't decide like this normally. Um, 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 I'll close my eyes and throw some of the yeah, dartboard. Got- don't worry about it. no. Um, I don't have plenty of time um, to explore um, a lot more films. So I think I'll come up with a good choice for the next podcast. Um, as as about this film, I'll rate it 3.7, 3.7 out of 5. Are we still doing numbers 5? Yeah. I'd, I'd say 4.3 out of 5. These are pretty arbitrary, aren't they, really? <laughs> <laughs> I also quickly want to say that this film, if I've made it sound like doom and gloom, it's really not. There's a lot of humour in it. Like, uh, it's implied that... uh... It's 95% doom and gloom, to be honest. It's 95% doom and gloom. I mean, he's so unassuming, Fox I'm talking about. For example, like, we can assume that his father's never been in his life, right? And there's a point where guy calls him a bastard and he doesn't really get upset he just kind of looks at himself in his pocket mirror and he goes oh people know how do they know how can they see it in me because he takes it literally like bastard meaning he hasn't got a father you know but no yeah yeah that was uh, yeah that's sort of like a form of self-amusement isn't it because he yeah so so i happily read anyway I'll deciding deciding next film we'll watch. I haven't decided yet because I always forget. But I will definitely come up with something in the next few days. I think there's gonna be a lot of local things oh, yeah. on movie oh, coming yeah. through. The Melville um, marathon that they've just put on there. 
to excellence, though, could take a yeah. look at that. I'm actually interested in some of some in the last days of the show, but not hmm, very interesting. Not necessarily one we'll watch, but um, yeah. Well, I'll put them on like. the Twitter page um, a okay. few days before we do it. So okay, that'd be that'd be great, and. I'll um I'll, I'll chat later, Gabby. Um, I didn't want to turn this um, podcast like, into a uh, phone conversation. Next? Okay, All right. So we'll wrap up now. So uh, we'll speak to you 